This episode is sponsored by Newark Made Gloves. With Newark Made Gloves, the American dream is literally at your fingertips. As you slide on each finger, a vision of your own piece of bucolic hamlet becomes that much more realized. Listeners of the podcast are welcome to get confused and spend years of their adult life wondering if their life experience is distinctly different from, let's say, that of the average Brit. Newark Made Gloves. Expertly crafted, exceedingly expensive. Now here's the podcast. American pastoral. American pastoral. So we're back at it. Um, I have recovered from COVID. Unfortunately, I don't have the really nasally. Uh, dr- you can just hear the post nasal drip mm-hmm. in my recording <laughs> in the in the last one. Um, but yeah, we're back at it. This is the one we chose because we we chose all ones that we thought would be we either already thought were good or thought would be good. But this is the pick that we both thought it would not be good, and I think. I'm going to tip my hand right away. I I, I uh, don't think it's good. That's where I'm at. Really, really bad movie, which is exciting <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> but the reason I'm excited to get into it, too, because the reason it's it's almost like there's just something off about it. <laughs> there's just something off about this movie. I, I, I texted you. I really I don't know, because it's like I know I knew this was really poorly received. We'll get into this. But if, if like adaptations of Philip Roth have a reputation of being like kind of cursed or unadaptable mm. or bad. Um, and I remember when this came out and I remember it getting bad reviews and like thinking nothing of it. I didn't really know anything about Philip Roth at the time. Saw the posters. like, it looks cool and dark. You McGregor directing. I really thought there would at least be like something uh, redeeming about this. Or maybe I could even be like, Oh, people were kind of off about this. There's some cool stuff. <laughs> Holy cow. It's so bad. Um, it, it's, it's quite bad. Um, well, my two points to that be the first thing I think it has two redeeming qualities. I think the cinematography is pretty good. I think it looks really good. And every once in a while, like sometimes it's like it looks too good in like a clean, like almost smooth period way. But then Mm -hmm. other times there's some wide shots, especially like on their farm where you're like, yeah, maybe Mm -hmm. this is an American pastoral. (laughs) Well, the thing that's but the thing that's funny about good cinematography then, though, is that I noticed like two or three continuity errors. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a couple. I wrote them down. It's just I pick up on that weird because I just I get fixated on stuff like that. But it was like there's just a couple things where it's like they'll have a they'll be like like one of them. I forget. And it's it's in the yeah, it's in the beginning um, when he's looking at the picture of Ewan McGregor, who's like 45 as a Uh high school athlete. He's like he like leans in. Right. He just leans his body forward. And then they cut to a close up where he's back further than the glass like that type of stuff so that type of stuff yeah almost like a jump cut yeah Um, and that's like classic like uh and not in a cool way either it's not like this is like (laughs) interesting or jazzy it's weird (laughs) yeah i mean i don't even know what of exactly but the the movie it feels like a parody like their time (laughs) like almost like a walk hard type i guess i mean there are plenty of things like like a you know, uh, mid-century, like, boomer kind of reckoning with uh, Vietnam and, mm-hmm. you know, underground communities. I thought I, you were going to say railroad. 
<laughs> parody of the underground railroad yeah. Yeah. absolutely i mean really getting a hot think, think about know, ways of getting into hot water getting uh, into, would be but, parodying the underground railroad right now oh my god uh Anyway, love you, McGregor as an actor. Normally, he's <laughs> yeah. also the weird Hard thing pivot. is he's also like maybe the worst perform. Like I guess it's oh, just like ter- it's a difficult he's performance. He's, he's really bad. bad. He's really he's just off tonally. Um, okay, real quick, I don't want to forget this point. Um, I I because I'm curious what you think of it because it's this is like kind of the essence of the pod here um i actually think books that are uh it, the the reason you're reading them is because of the writing. You mm-hmm. know. Um, I think those like good writing is hard to adapt. No, yeah. totally. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, this feels totally well-intentioned in some ways. <sighs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you just have to find a way to find like the cinematic equ- equivalent of whatever, you know, literary aspect works instead of just, man, just putting it lifelessly on the screen and then throwing in some voiceover this does Mm -hmm. a thing where like the voiceover disappears and then comes back at the (laughs) end i get like one in like we've talked about how in Mm -hmm. hair vice found like a really cool elegant solution with like making a character who's in it the narrator in a way that fits her place in the film Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this is it does the thing where it's like okay you're trying to get some of the pros in here Mm mm-hmm kind of cheating but fine i get it it's good not only i mean it's poorly done but it goes away until the end the terrible end where they add on the funeral and Mm -hmm. oh my god i couldn't believe some of that stuff um it's it is it is bad um uh, yeah and i'll I'll, maybe we should save some specifics till after uh we talked yeah, Philip yeah, Roth. We, we, it's hard not to jump in the deep end. No, I agree. I'm already raring is. to go and just dogpile on this and get banned from Twitter for dogpiling. But <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, this is like American Pastoral. I've, the way I came to it was through you because uh, we both of us, I don't know if this is the way in. And if you know, if, if you know different, holler at me. But the way I remember coming to Philip Roth was, um, I feel like it was one of our many discussions about Baumbach, Noah Baumbach. I can never say that right. What is it actually? <laughs> Baumbach. I used to think it was yeah. Baumbach, but I feel like it's Baumbach. Baumbach. Yeah, and there's something. Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> um, there's there's something. I don't know. I feel like either because then there was there was a guy who recently who who his, uh, did a biography of Philip Roth, who then was like grooming kids. Or something. Oh yeah, is, I've got this. Yeah. yeah, let's get into that. Uh, yeah, Blake Bailey. I've got this huge, this fucking doorstop of a biography sitting on my <laughs> bookshelf right here. Uh, have not read it because I pre-ordered it. It was like you know the Oof. big Philip Roth biography from. I can't remember who else he did, but this guy is like a real a real notable biographer. Um and as it was coming out there was news that this guy who was like a longtime english teacher i think in louisiana like high school english teacher had groomed several of his students and i mean this is why philip roth's kind of so difficult to talk about but because of that the book kind of was doa and it kind of renewed all these conversations about is philip roth problematic was he a misogynist uh is it okay to read him which like uh, all these things and some of that was interesting like there were there were quite a few interesting pieces at the time but because of that i haven't touched the biography because i was like hey, well i can't read it in public for sure uh <laughs> I don't i'm think sure you, there's you think it's it may, that 
like volatile that people maybe would, i mean I, it I was like a news story like, i wouldn't want to yeah be yeah. doing that either but i think like we're just both... take the jacket off you could just take the jacket off um, um i do want to oh, know because it sounds like there's a lot of interesting stuff in there um but it's also interesting because philip roth like so much of his work is kind of shrouded mixed is this biography mm-hmm. is this fictionalized so which is why it's i mean it's fun because it is hard to get a grip on what's real and what's not and who he who he was yeah um, but oh Constant. are you saying that's we were talking about that and that's we were how talking you... about that okay. yes yeah, so i wanted to loop back into that because you were like the two things you said that i thought were really funny you were said you're like before i didn't know what grooming meant and then i was like this is what grooming is because he was <laughs> like because he was writing notes to his students being like like a diary entry where a girl would talk about like being shy about a crush or a boy i forget it was a boy or girl but then he would be like i never understood why he hesitated here and oh my god and you told right. me that reminded you of bernard from the squid and the whale, squid and the whale. oh yeah great point so that's, that's so how and then we that's how i and i feel like you're you're a, quite a big philip roth fan and that is that fair to say yeah totally um and then i feel like we talked about that and then you were suggesting what like i was like had never heard of him but then all of a sudden upon research i was like oh god yeah i gotta read i gotta read some of this this is like right up my alley i'd think and then you suggested american pastoral and i actually have a photo and it'd be funny to post this whenever we post these these episodes of i remember sending you a florence as a two-month-old in like a baby bouncer but i have the i have american pastoral like in the shot as well um, so that's how i i and i it could be different but i i really think that's how i got introduced to philip roth and um um this and American pastoral. And I don't know if listen up Philip is also somehow involved. Probably, probably real quick. I, I forgot the details of the grooming, but yeah, I think, first of all, I think it was, you're saying that I think it was middle school students. He was teaching. He would write them things like that, then stay in contact with them. And then like years later, when they were technically of age, make a move on them, which is just mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So it's gross. like putting, yeah. trying to get laid uh, on layaway in geez. a very <laughs> gross very gross way but no probably i mean because i do remember i mean i feel like philip roth is the name of always i had always heard like you know when i was younger and i go that's someone you're supposed to read i for for whatever i mean i think they're associated time-wise or contemporaries updike's kind of like the wasp version of him but i do remember like you know i'd read some john updike and being like well maybe next i'll read philip roth and it probably was hearing so much about uh bound back talk about him and then yeah uh listen up philip which you know kind of inv- invokes him in the title. I kn- I knew from that that Oxford Perry was like a big Philip Roth fan, even though you know that's not a Roth adaptation technically or about him. Kind of has a little bit of the Ghostwriter in it, um, maybe a little bit of the Professor of Desire. But uh, that I think it was that. But also, the first Philip Roth book I read was The Plot Against America, and that was maybe. Be- because the show was coming out yeah 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 and that's i mean that's how i i think that's how i was like i gotta read this guy two filmmakers i like really like him and you know he's like a huge literary figure um then he died well he died in 2018 and that probably brought a bunch more attention to him but then the plot against america show was coming out and then i was probably like well i should i want to see that i want to read philip roth i should read this I read it. I remember taking that book to my then girlfriend's house over the holidays and somehow feel feeling intimidated reading it around her smart brothers, which really <laughs> freaked me out. I remember one of her brothers being like, like I had just started the book and being like, Roth is hard. He's like, you read, you read John Updike, right? And I had just, I read like one John Updike book and I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, 
Roth is way harder. And I was like, oh, well, well, great. Um, <laughs> but I like that and I like the show. Um, but then in the pandemic, for whatever reason, I think American Pastoral was the first one I read. And then I just like read 10 Philip Roth books in 2020 for whatever reason. I, I honestly, and this could tie into our conversation, it was I also watched like a lot of people, all of the Sopranos in the pandemic. And there was something about reading and watching two things set in New York, New Jersey. Yeah. 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 And so about that and from opposite sides where I I don't know, it like clicked in. Um, But that was, yeah, that was when I fell in love with Philip Roth Um, and yeah, American pastoral definitely kicked that off. Uh, But never felt any desire to watch the movie until, until it seemed like a great idea for the podcast. Yeah, I, I mean that's interesting because it's it's I didn't realize that your uh, Philip Roth uh, proclivity was was pandemic was pandemic mm-hmm. uh, spawned. I thought it was kind of a you had a longer relationship with the man, um, but doesn't matter. Very cool. Yeah, I just wasted a bunch of wasted <laughs> spent a bunch of money on his books in 2020, and now I've got like a fucking Roth shelf, which I which I set the big biography on because I didn't know where else to put it. I mean, I have to say, I really loved uh, American Pastoral. I thought I'm trying to. I've been trying to figure out how to articulate because I wish I had, I meant to get an, another. Like I read it in 2020, and then I meant to reread at least parts of it for the pod, and I did not. Um, but there's something so there's something so acerbic. Is that how you say it? With like this undertone of like, don't take yourself serious. That yeah. I really like, where it's like have it had like the uh like kind of like the courage of conviction but also like the ambiguity i guess as well of a situation does that yeah 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 no he's like such a moral writer but also like knows exactly who he is which is why i mean i think he probably was a misogynist and certainly there's plenty of that and plenty of sexism in his writing and even in some american pastoral with like mary sometimes you're like man does this guy just like hate women but he's all it's always so so aware and like he's always kind of tearing himself inside out and it's always funny even american pastoral which has got to be one of his least funny books yeah just because of the subject matter um i don't well just because we're i mean it's funny because i feel like this inevitably comes up every episode but um like what uh i i genuinely don't know um what is like the 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 feminist critique of roth like what's like the big well you know he's it's a lot of it's a lot of objectifying of women and you know men male protagonists fucking women and maybe even sometimes sexually assaulting women Mm. or um in in a way that feels like it's not it's it feels like it's objectifying them i think i think like, like, like it's a certainly. misfire you know what i mean it's not a comment on the way I, well I, yeah, like i mean it, i sometimes i think it's both a, yeah. you know and i've heard a lot of women write about it i you know um uh oh gosh what's her name um I, i've heard you know i mean lena dunham not unproblematic but lena dunham i know is a huge fan of his which i think totally comes through in her work in particular like girls i you know uh the novelist and writer taffy how do you say her name? Brodesser Ackner, who wrote uh, Fleischman is in Trouble, a great book that's like very Philip Rothy with a slightly feminist bent, um, is a fan, but has also written about how, you know, his work is troubling as a woman. And that's something you have to reckon with that in a way, you know, also makes him fascinating, but it shouldn't mm-hmm. be ignored. I think a lot of it too is um, 
I have not read it, but I believe he's only written one book that with a female protagonist called mm-hmm. When She Was Good, and people did not like it. <laughs> uh, so I think that kind of adds into it. And he's also kind of like a, a famous playboy in real life. I mean, it was just skipping ahead, but like an interesting <laughs> uh, facet of his life. Like, okay, so he was married uh, mm-hmm. early on, like I think when he was in Chicago um right before goodbye columbus came out in 1959 i'll go back to his biography but uh that woman died in a car accident like five years after they split up which was five years after they got married and he wrote like some terrible things about her like claiming that she like tried to get pregnant on purpose to like hold it over him maybe it was true who knows um but kind of based a lot of characters on her. Then he was married to the actress, Claire Bloom. They were only married for a few years, like I think from 90 to 92, Mm -hmm. but they had been together since the mid seventies. They divorced. She wrote a memoir um, called, what is it called? Escaping a doll's house. That's not right. Um, God, Uh, (laughs) I mean, I hope it's not called that. That's like really, uh, it's pretty much that it's uh, leaving a doll's house. Um, about how he like was terrible to her daughter, who was the daughter of the actor Rod Steiger, who Claire Bloom had been with. Um, but Rod anyway, Steiger it, or Burke Stodger or Burke Stodger sounds very similar. Yeah. Um, but he uh, and basically he he was like a control freak who manipulated mm-hmm. her per her memoir, uh, and like was misogynist and sexist. And then that's basically why he wrote I married a communist, which is like Mm. part of the same trilogy with American pastoral American pastoral is kind of a late trilogy, um, like a second Nathan, Nathan Mm. Zuckerman trilogy where it has the same narrator. And it's like about three different, very American stories, but I married a communist is about someone whose wife has a daughter from another man that he doesn't get along with. And she cheats on him and then writes a manifesto about how he's a communist and ruins his life and career. And he oh, wrote gosh. this like right after uh, her yeah. memoir was a whole this, thing. The thing we Which talked seems about vindictive. our last episode where it's like, you're writing to correct an argument. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, no exactly. Cares. I don't want to de facto defend just like a guy. Like, I feel like I have a tendency to do that. Um, mostly just cause it's like, I feel like I see, thing like because i feel like it just when when people look when people uh look comb through someone's work to try to attach it to like either accusations or whatever i just think that's kind of like you know there's that case that a contemporary example where people are saying you shouldn't be able to use rap lyrics in the court of law Mm -hmm. a little bit goofy because it's a lot of them are very specific like yeah i killed that guy on instagram live (laughs) on december 14th 2021 um (laughs) but it is like i do think it's like art is not there can be because it's also like we all have I just really feel strongly that we all have ugly. There's an ugliness to all of us that like if you're really honest with yourself, like nobody is no everyone's problematic. I think there's obviously people who are like racist people or sexist people who are who are uh violent, terrible people. I'm not like defending. I just think like when you're examining that stuff and bringing it to art, like I think that that is that's good thing. No, definitely. I I think then just the conversation becomes, which I I do think Philip Roth is mostly doing and often does as well. But then it's also like, yeah, you can make something that's depicting or about something without being the thing. But then you can also make some like a work that is itself that yeah, sexist or misogynist or Mm -hmm. both. Um, And it's also like we like I said, complicated by the fact that like 
he's so many of his novels are about people who are sometimes just named mm-hmm. Philip Roth or yeah. <laughs> are like clearly about him, you yeah. know, like important his complaint. He like attempts to rape like a woman oh, IDF officer in Israel. I mean, it's, He's the butt of the joke, the character Portnoy, but still all these things. And it's like over and over again, like I certainly get it, but it's interesting. There's actually this book. Can't I remember what this is called? Should have written this down too, but there is a book by a, an author, a woman who dated Philip Roth and the book split in two parts. And the whole first half is about a young woman writer dating mm-hmm. this like 70 year old, like August <laughs> New York uh, writer. Fluff. Yeah. And it's in like a very <laughs> Philip Roth kind of style and it's great. Um, mm-hmm. God damn it. Why can't I remember what it's called? It's on my the show giving somewhere. tree. It's uh, you know what? It's actually the giving tree by uh, Shelly Silverstein. <laughs> okay. Uh, well then just, but it's very, because we, well, we've talked about this a lot too. So just, I guess just for me, it's easy. It's, it's easier for parameters. So when we say like sexist and misogynist, do we say just somebody who, who thinks women are less than men? Is that, is that like, and once, and once, and feels like a woman's rightful place are in these defined places that it's like the kitchen. Yeah, and sure. Like, or, like, you is know, that, yeah, what's our definition? I hates guess? women or objectifies women. I, I mean, I guess it's like not necessarily lesser, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just because the reason I say that is because somebody who is like manipulative and terrible to their wife is might just be a manipulative, terrible, right? Person. Not necessarily you know, like, it's a like sexist or misogynist. Yeah, because right. I think those I accusations think were separate. To be clear, I think her okay. book <laughs> accused him of being a misogynist and controlling. Um, okay. But I don't know if that's true, you know. And uh, he's certainly a complicated figure. Uh, but it's probably my favorite writer. Uh, <laughs> So... Okay, well, yeah, we can we don't get have to get bogged down on that. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's really fascinating terrain because I feel like I'm I struggle with with knowing the line and my first instinct is maybe not correct to be like, hold up, I just I I just feel like I just feel that literature and art is a sacred thing and I don't want people to uh to conflate too much too much out there. But at the same time, I understand that there are real issues and maybe some of the stuff is overcorrection because of real terrible problems and terrible. No, people. totally. And it is just so, I mean, it's not funny at all, but it is just how it was all complicated by his big biography coming out by a guy who is seemingly very <laughs> terrible. And it's, you know, it doesn't uh, help matters at all. At least Philip Roth uh, was dead at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, was in the so fucking dirt. Um, <laughs> well, dig him up. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Uh, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley demands for the ESPYs. No, I'll send it funny. to you tomorrow. It's so <laughs> funny. I've, I'm kind of on a Will Ferrell rabbit hole right now for a reason, but uh, so my algorithm's coming back up. Will Ferrell play Nathan Zuckerman? Um, Do it. No. Stranger than <laughs> but, uh, by the way, that book was called Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. Um, okay, found good it. Title. Very good for the record. Especially yeah, for yeah. The, the form. Uh, it's the yeah, it's very parts. cool. Um. <laughs> yeah speaking of man so yeah nathan zuckerman is uh one of philip roth's um yeah i guess alter egos almost like he wrote a series of books called the zuckerman trilogy uh uh the ghostwriter zuckerman unbound and um the anatomy lesson that are all about this writer nathan zuckerman who's essentially philip roth the ghostwriters and before he becomes famous zuckerman unbound is essentially like philip roth becoming a celebrity after portnoy's complaint i think it's very mm-hmm. funny in the book instead the book's just called that he became famous from is called karnovsky um <laughs> and then uh the anatomy lesson is him like regretting becoming a writer and dealing with a lot of pain which by the way is where you know in greenberg uh 
the Noah Baumbach movie, how he briefly considers how long it would take him to go back to medical school or just Loved vet school. Maybe my favorite part of the movie. So yeah. funny. That's like the last third of the anatomy lesson is he decides he's just going to become a doctor and he like flies back to the University of Chicago <laughs> where he got his his master's, which Philip Roth did as well. And he's like, they're going to let me in. I'm like famous. They're going to let me back into medical school and it's going to be great. And then he gets there and his friend who's a doctor is like, what are you doing i'm committing you you're you're out of your mind um but anyway so zuckerman was kind of one of his alter egos and then these three books starting with american pastoral it's american pastoral i married a communist and the human stain are all follow the same format of the frame story is nathan zuckerman a little older now a famous writer a philip roth type looking back on his life either encounters in this case in american pastoral he goes to a high school reunion, sees he, you know his old childhood friend Jerry, and remembers that Jerry's brother was this guy, the Swede, uh, who was destined for a great, happy American life. And then he, Zuckerman imagines what that life must have been, knowing he knows the Swede's dead. He knows how it ended and a vague idea, and he fills in the rest because he's a writer. Um, mm-hmm. And I married a communist, you know, he encounters, it's re-encounters a guy from his childhood who was, you know, blacklisted for communist associations, the human stain. (laughs) It's a very complicated book uh, about a professor who is essentially canceled. Very timely book that also would not fly now in interesting ways. Um, But those are kind of canceled. But if you read the book, this 800 page book, you realize he was actually in the right. Was he okay? Um, (laughs) It's really interesting. There's a crazy twist to that book. And I love that book uh, that I won't spoil. Um, But those are kind of the three. And this is kind of like not a rebound, but American Pastoral won him the Pulitzer Prize. It was the only Pulitzer Prize he won. He's nominated several times. Um, But it was kind of, you know, his big, uh, it became his big book. And I feel like it's become the consensus favorite. I, I know I, I sent you this thing. There was an article uh, from after he died of 12 big writers picking their favorite Philip Roth book in the New York times. It's by far the one that's picked the most like in 2006, mm-hmm. also in the New York times, they uh, like called a panel of, you know, real big deal writers, uh, fancy people um, to vote on the best novels of the last 25 years. And American Pastoral was fifth among those. And the first Roth book, even though a few others got got votes, The Counter Life, Operation Shylock and Savage Theater did too. Uh, you know, that and Portnoy's Complaint are the only ones of his on Times list of the 100 best English language novels since 1923. So it does feel like it's kind of settled into... The like, this is the great novel. And like, you know, it also, I mean, it has American in the title, but it does feel like it's one of those quote unquote, great American novel novels in a real it definitely way. It takes on the subject matter. I feel like it's, it's certainly making a comment on, on that uh, idea, which is like, it's so funny that the distinctly American to me, it feels like this something it's so distinctly American is pr- trying to delineate what is American you know yeah totally totally the most american thing is wondering what's american yeah that's that's so true um okay i was talking about how oh um well i mean and like you said this this book is kind of so in a way almost about the creation of a great american novel because it's nathan zuckerman the writers you know filling in the blanks and imagining this tragic american story which is something the movie unless i miss something it totally abandons any of the gray area of 
you know, this being made up. Like, I guess you could say that it goes from the frame story of David Strathairn as Zuckerman to the Swede's life as being like, well, is that just what he's imagining? But no, the the book presents it much more interestingly, where is any of this real? You know, uh, is well, it a creation? To, to that point, I think that's what the book does really well and why the book is really worth reading um, because of the things it is on a bigger level, like it's a lot of ways. I think it's a defense of capital capitalism. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways where I feel like he's trying to humanize capitalism being like, no, the, the factory we use in, is it the Puerto Rico? Where is the yeah. factory that they use? He's yeah. like, we've actually like, he enumerates all the ways that they've contributed to the, the people's rights expanding and having more market value and being able to get themselves out of poverty. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily my full belief, but, um, I think he spends a lot of time doing that. And that's like one of the bigger things, but the thing that I think is makes it worth reading is so fascinating is we see, we've, especially as a kid, you see families that you think have it all and they have their, the quintessential American life. They have the, it seems like their life is perfect. And the line that ends Zuckerman's uh, first, like 76 pages or whatever it is, is like that. He's like, I thought exactly what I just said about this guy like nope i've never been more wrong about anyone in my life it's and, so good and there's just everyone i know like i have a friend whose parents are still together actually but uh was telling like they're this they're very much like this type of family like the all-american all-american you know his my friend was really you know is, is very successful his sister's very successful as his younger brothers are and like the parents are very successful and good looking and they were younger and all this stuff and they were like my friend told me in recent years they would like his parents were getting like in terrible fights and like throwing chairs at each other and like all that stuff and it's like you just don't know what goes on behind closed doors i mean yeah that's know? like the one of the kind of famous lines from the book uh you know you look at people and you never fail to get them wrong you get them wrong while you're with them or you tell someone about them and get them wrong again that's how we know we're alive we are wrong which again something that the movie really ruins by having david strathairn <laughs> well, the read in voiceover the movie's yeah. wrong so that's <laughs> exactly read that in helps. voiceover under like weepy movie funeral scene score mm-hmm. terrible but it's yeah i mean that's an interesting thing about the book is you know this main character who becomes the main character from nathan zuckerman's point of view we should say philip roth is you know someone who was very interested in the jewish american experience he was Jewish specifically in New Jersey. It feels like, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, his, his parents were second generation, um, Jewish Americans and his dad was an insurance salesman and his mom, you know, was a stay at home mom. And he grew up in New Jersey as the world war two came on, which is very much what the plot of America is about a plot against America, which imagines that Charles Lindbergh became president. Very like, yeah. prescient when it comes to trump like he's literally just a famous person who becomes elected president during world war ii but is just a puppet for hitler basically in america um is anyway it, does the Lindbergh baby come up like vote for me because i know loss or something it doesn't i think it takes place before that would have happened um uh, i think um interesting but anyway you know very much all so many of his books are about the jewish american experience and this one the Swede, the Ewan McGregor character in the movie, though he's called the Swede because he has blonde hair and blue eyes, despite being Jewish. Kind of looks like uh, someone like I, a, I know. <laughs> Tanner. 
Hitler? You could be. You could be. Uh, oh, I, could be like I could be the Swede. I could be the Swede. You could be the Speaking of which, shout out your cousin O'Neill. How we became friends. I did. I feel like O'Neill is the Swede. He doesn't look like the say. Swede, but he's spiritually the Swede. O'Neill. Let, yeah. Let's. I really wanted to. I really wanted to get into the Swedes that we know. Um, yeah. First of all, <laughs> I'm seeing my cousin Nick this weekend. Uh, in like two days. Uh, he's how you and I met. You played soccer with him. I am related to him by blood. Um. <laughs> Or am I? And uh, <laughs> but yeah, the idea of the Swede. So yeah, the Swede is like a Jewish guy who is very athletic, could pass for Goy as like the perfect all-American guy. It's interesting too because you and McGregor. I remember I told my roommate who's Jewish about uh, about the book when I was reading it, and we, I was like, "You and McGregor made a movie," and I was like, "Yeah, it's about this guy who's Jewish but like doesn't seem Jewish." And my roommate was like. Well, is he Jewish? And it turns out <laughs> Ewan McGregor, uh, his wife, who he's since split from, um, was Jewish and he converted to Judaism, which is kind of like, you're kind of like, oh, that it's like the reverse of the the book and oh, the movie, yeah, but it, it yeah, makes yeah. a certain degree of sense. Um, yeah. In theory, Sweet. not in practice. While we're just throwing, um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense um, that, that, that he would relate to the subject matter a little bit more. And maybe that was part of the reason that compelled him to do it. Um, but uh, just throwing Molotov cocktails out there. I just heard something recently, and I th- I think it's such an unfair argument, but it is hilarious and fascinating. Like, there's all this issue about representation and et cetera, and and uh, there's uh, some people would say, well, any discrepancy in representation, man versus woman, black versus white, et cetera, et cetera, must mean that there's some bad system at play, right? Like being mm-hmm. like if, and um, someone said this person was Jewish and was like. How come there's no, do you know that a Jewish person has never won the hundred meter dash? And then they were like, no, he's like, yeah. So is there, is the Olympics like anti-Semitic and the person just had no comeback for it. And it's like, that's just not fair. Cause it's just not, it's a sports not is more empirical. Same thing. Yeah. It's just yeah. an empirical thing, you know, like time and stuff, but it was like, it was a pretty good, like, like, like on camera barb. I have to, I have to say. There are some just like arguments like that where where it doesn't make any sense and also makes the most sense. Exactly. I think think often this also probably wouldn't fly today, I guess. But there's the the Bizarro Jerry episode of Seinfeld where they encounter a group of their friends who's the same but opposite. And Mm -hmm. Jerry explains how it's like the Superman villain Bizarro. And Jerry's explaining how he's the exact opposite of Superman. And and Elaine or Jerry goes, instead of saying hello, he says goodbye. And Elaine says, shouldn't he say bad bye? And Jerry's just kind of like, what? And then she's like, is he black? And he's like, no. And then she's like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, so, so funny about that yeah. kind of uh, argument. Um but, but then yeah, I, uh, I, the reason I say that though too is because I'm like because then that thing got me thinking and then this but I actually did think about this book when I heard that it's like are there part of the reason the Swede is so significant not just because he's tall and strapping and handsome and looks Nordic is that he is this great ulcer athlete in a community that feels like they have no representation mm-hmm. within that community of like right. being, of athletes and I was wondering is like are there any big jewish athletes like are there any i'm sure there are i just don't know any i mean not i think feel like this is stereotypical but sandy koufax is uh the big one the dodgers pitcher Mm -hmm. who famously didn't pitch on uh rosh hashanah or yom kippur one (laughs) of the high reminds me of walter yeah exactly uh, Um, (laughs) he's a big one i mean i'm sure there are there are loads that that i can't think of um you know there have to there there have to be i just don't i just the 
don't know. I feel like the I know um I know uh soccer players really well because I play and I know like base I know uh baseball from like two thousand one to two thousand three. <laughs> right, know, a specific period uh, of time. I know the NBA um in like two thousand six to two thousand ten. There you go. Okay, not too bad. Philip Roth, interestingly, I think hated Woody Allen. Oh, um, really? Why do you is, think that is? Well, there's one uh, part in Zuckerman Unbound when, again, it's essentially he's just Philip Roth, where he takes um, an actress out on a date and they go to Elaine's, where Woody Allen like was famously frequented, and. God, he called. He says like, "Oh, there's two people at the bar: the auteur and his actor actress girlfriend." And he he describes uh, the director, who's unnamed, as like the idiot's auteur and the uh, oh, and so, something else so about Mia Farrow. Bernard. Oh, from you, Squid and the Whale. <laughs> totally, it's 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 really funny. Um, and I think he may have dated Mia Farrow in real life briefly, uh, Philip Roth. So maybe that's maybe part that's of it why. too. Um, anyway, but I hate sweet... I hate it when people say like that type of stuff though because it's like regardless of you can hate Woody Allen you know I don't care but like to be like he's the idiot like when people are like why do any what does anyone like this I know like, it's I know. like you're such a especially lost, when you're also you know? like in the creative like you know you're also a figure like Philip Broth like maybe there's some sort of resentment or like I don't know it's very interesting uh I know do you know any other uh so like the Swede is just like you know that guy you see who's both perfect, Who's good at sports, it. seems to have yeah. just a way, but is also like nice. I feel like that's the idea. I had one guy in my high school who was exactly like this, uh, who was just like the best athlete. All the girls liked him, but you like mm-hmm. got it. Like I, my first girlfriend, like actively had a crush on him while we were dating. And this is a dude <laughs> who was like in all my classes. I'm like, I know oh, him. God. Uh, but also well, you're like, I get it. Cause he's also really nice to me. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, definitely oh, someone great. I look up. I mean, Nathan still didn't have him. Google. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I look him up uh, oh, okay. occasionally and don't find much. Uh, I don't have Facebook. I don't think he does. But I recently like saw that this is so fucked up and I won't name him. But I saw that his dad had died and I was just oh, like, God. and you like, were pumped. Oh. You're like, finally, this family's yeah, mortal. I was like, man, he's real. Like, that's, I hope he's well, but also, like, is he killing it? I know he lives mm. in New York. Um, is he a robot? Is he a human? Um, yeah. But no, I mean, it's so true. Both. It's something that this, like, through the specificity of this, this book, it really gets at that idea of, like, you do not know what's going on beneath the surface of anyone. You don't. I think it's <sighs> funny because the thing that I, the Swedes, it's a, the Swedes we know, it's such a hilarious idea. Um, because the thing I loved about this book that I was really affected by it is when there's so much that Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, I almost said Zuckerberg. There's almost uh, there's a lot of Mark Zuckerberg in this. It's very prescient, <laughs> prescient, or whatever you say it. Um, no, where he's like really talking about his childhood admiration of the Swede and like the big moment that gets played off in the film horribly is when. Um, the Swede who ever everyone's gathered to watch practice gets like clobbered, but then he gets up and on his way out, he says, ba- 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 uh, basketball was never like this skip or something to, yeah. to Nathan. And Nathan feels like he's been like anointed. Like he's now the crown prince of right, his middle right. school. Because, he talked to me he, yeah. by name. Mm-hmm. And I had those moments a lot because I was, um, I, th- I played, you know, varsity sports, but then, when you're you know when i remember especially with basketball for example it was i'm curious if your school is the same way was that like so seventh eighth ninth 
10th or like seventh, eighth, ninth JV and varsity all played on the same day. And their games would kind of be one after each other. And you would have random, we'd have random moments together. And then there's all the basketball camps over the summer. And like basketball is just a very high visibility sport. And for me, I played soccer and I was like quite good at soccer, but it wasn't like, you know, it was, and our, our soccer team was actually really good. Like one of the best in the state, but not a big deal, but um, it's not like people didn't get excited in the same way about soccer. And then the real work of my career was playing club soccer, which nobody fucking knew about, which was, right, which was, right. which is a blessing in disguise. Cause I've talked before about people I know who, who, uh, when your social status is so under a microscope in these ways, I think, which I think basketball is, there's five people on a court, there's big games that get thousands of people at them. But anyway, so those athletes, when they would like say like, oh, what's up, Lil Baker? Because I was a brother who was yeah. older than me in front of like my friends at like Caruso's when I'm in like sixth grade at the parking lot. I would literally like be like literally beam for like hours. Uh, it's it's <laughs> so true. Real quick. Uh, what is Caruso's? Oh, it's a, so there's a pizzeria on. So I went to high school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I think the town, the high school is actually in, it's called Neffsville, but um, there was the middle school and the high school were on the same campus. And on the, basically on the campus is a pizzeria place called, or pizzeria called Caruso's. That's like the staple, like, you know, awesome. like everyone, everyone would get, when you were in back when this was like, cool, um, you would like sixth grade on Fridays, you would um, in the spring, you would like ask your parents to pick you up at like four at Caruso's instead of like, you know, two forty at the school or whatever. So you could right, eat a right. slice of pizza with a girl oaks oh, can i tell you just a quick aside Do it. i want it okay. i love the local color i want the okay. lancaster matt stories so when i was in seventh grade i dated a girl and i was really we were all in the same we were in the, she was in my homeroom class we had all these classes together and uh um she ends up breaking up with me she starts dating my friend who's in the same class who's also my neighbor who also <laughs> dated another like two other girls after i dated them and is married to one now so uh it's hilarious anyway but they're they are dating and i'm like heartbroken but i'm trying to not like you know i'm just i'm trying to do my thing whatever that means for a seventh grader for months but i still like harbor this huge heartbreak about it and trying like every day and hope like they would be like holding hands when we used to hold hands when like while we were secretly holding hands like assemblies and stuff anyway so the two of them are making out at Caruso's on a Friday. Like I just said, her dad's friend happens to see her making out with, with her new boyfriend tells her dad that her daughter, that this, so if you're following, can you still follow? Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. Tells her dad that her daughter is making out with her boyfriend at Caruso's. Her dad freaks out, makes her break up with him. Guess who's lying in wait. <laughs> Did you this then? Guy. Do you then yeah, date yeah, her we again? Started, we started dating again. Yeah. Wow. Hell yeah. It, it took it took a little while, but then and then she broke up with me again. But uh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Uh, she's actually it's funny because it's like this person I actually really respect. She's like, uh, lives in New York, is in like kind of the stop motion animation world a little bit, and went to Harvard and played two sports. She's like fucking awesome, and I, she's I, a, I she's sweet. Yeah, exactly. She is kind of a she's sweet in a way. Um, she was really cool, but that was uh. Yeah, that was like seventh grade, and uh, yeah, making out of Crusoe's. It's a great story. It's true though. You do, uh, yeah, but basketball. Where I had the same thing. Where freshman JV and varsity all played on the same night, and you're like, especially freshman of varsity, you're only like kind of around them. At least my my situation was like we were more paired with JV, 
at least at that time. And then you would see like the varsity people would practice later or their games would be later. And they'd be like, you'd be like, maybe they know who I am. They at least see me. And then maybe like someone would be like, yeah, like you're walking around <laughs> campus and they're like, hey, Tanner. And you're like, oh, my God, they know who I am. And now my friends know that they know who I am. This is huge. Um, it is a big it was a huge fucking deal. I it goes back to our conversation about Fantastic Mr. Fox when Ash and I just want to I love this part in that movie. And um, is when Mrs. Fox is like, it's OK to be different. And then Ash is like, no, thanks. I prefer to be an athlete because it's like I just feel like. <laughs> where it depends where you are or you grow up but i think your your hometown sounds similar to mine like i really feel like if in my hometown if you were not athletic you were fucked you know like you just like didn't have like that's not true obviously but like it felt in a lot of ways because it wasn't i grew up in farmland there wasn't a lot to do right so it was like everyone if you're a boy all you did was you like played sports and if you didn't play sports, maybe you did music or whatever, but no one, no one fucking cared. And we hated you. And no, I'm kidding. You, were, you probably... grew up in a, the freaking Rimrock. Uh, I did. The Rimrock, New Jersey of Pennsylvania. I mean, I feel like I, in a way, Lancaster kind of became that because some, there was such a hot influx off of Philly that people were like, oh, I can have land and, and, no, and, and live that life. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, so I feel like that was yeah, such a big part of a adolescent boy's identity in, in uh, the Y2K years. So really got hooked on that. Another thing that made me think of too is um, this. another thing that tore at my heartstrings was when Nathan Zuckerman's like, he's overplaying. He would play ping pong with Jerry, his the Swede's younger brother. And he notices that uh, the Swede has a series of books about a baseball player. Um, and he's like, he says something that's like so desperate. He's like, does he, does he even care? Like, you know, like that, right, like, cause right. those books were so near and dear to the Zuckerman's character. Like, does he even care that like, I like love these books so much or see so I'm bastardizing it, but that's just the consensus of it. But that made me think of Matt Christopher books. Did you ever read those growing up? No, no. You never read the that? kid who only hit home runs or the long arm quarterback. <laughs> There's no. the kid who okay. hit only home runs. I can see the covers. Awesome. I can yeah. see the covers. It's literally, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I remember being like on the edge of my seat, like, cause it's a, bo- a the, the, it's literally about a kid who only hits home runs. He has right. a season where it's only like a hits power. Home runs, right. But I'm like hooked being like, is, is he it, going, is someone, to? is someone going to rob it? Like someone like almost robs like a couple, like that type of shit. But uh, I, I will say uh, things like that. <laughs> especially when i was a kid and i think still there's something like i like movies that make you feel bad um that like you know subvert expectations but when someone has powers in a movie especially a kid's movie and they get taken away it is so upsetting to me that i like almost don't like it like in like mike when he he loses his basketball powers it is really upsetting it's I just like I have to not watch almost I have the same effect even more than horror movies when someone is late or frazzled for a job interview in a movie I'm like I can't watch this <laughs> this is I gotta put my I gotta hide my eyes behind the damn pillow it feels like that's like uh like a weird like it's like an anxiety thing <laughs> yeah i'm sure it is because i also kind of i also like don't really root for underdogs in sports which i know oh, is really? not the popular opinion unless like it's my team because i'm like ah, i it upsets me to think that the person who's supposed to be good isn't gonna it's, do well yeah. i actually you know? know exactly what you mean um sometimes i can slip into that the person that really r.i.p got me that was fucking kobe i love Yo, watching sure kobe to sure win. The, yeah the Lakers yeah were like yeah i even like i remember 
still speaking of the American pastoral was 2001 NBA finals. Um, Los Angeles Lakers playing Philadelphia 76ers. I grew up about an hour, hour and a half outside of Philadelphia. A lot of people like the Sixers. My brother's one of them. Fuck that. I like the Lakers. Game one. <laughs> game game one. Uh, uh, well, also because my favorite number has always been eight, and Kobe was still eight then. Fucking they really get, cool they, number. Yeah, they, thank you. They got fucking Teron Lou with cornrows <laughs> trying to be fucking Allen Iverson. Yeah, right. AI goes off, scores like... 49 points, Sixers take game one. I'm fucking disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. I I remember, sorry, I just, I remember I came, I'm dead serious. I came into my mom's room and I was like, I had to be like 10 or maybe even younger. My brother and I both at the time actually did have a pair of AIs. But anyway, I came in and I asked my mom, I was like, who won the game last night? Cause the game went on really late. And she was like Sixers in overtime. And I was like, and just left her room and just like, fuck. No, and, and my brother was very excited. It's so uh, true. I uh, the the Suns were. I am a Phoenix Suns fan, and their their great run when I was in middle school and high school came before the Lakers got like good again with Kobe. But they came in some great Kobe as a star years, and so we beat them like three times in the playoffs. And I was so I hate you. The whole thing was to hate Kobe, but like you also wanted him to be Kobe. And so mm-hmm. like when he started getting old and had his injuries, you were just kind of like, but that can't can I be injured too? And then obviously him, <laughs> him, him dying was like, even though he was retired, it was kind of like a, you know, Oh my God, no one is, no one is safe, which I guess is also what, you know, this book and movie are about, you know, he thinks this guy's going to have the perfect life and he mm-hmm. couldn't have been more wrong. It's true. I mean, I feel like Kobe, and then I want to bring it back to another point real quick, but uh, the Kobe death thing, it's crazy because, the way these figures athletes loom so large in our culture. Like we both were living in Los Angeles when he died. And like, we, I remember texting you that day. We were like, cause I remember I went to the, it was a Sunday was the mm-hmm. morning that, um, and it was literally like, I remember it like a nine 11, you know, like you remember yeah. oh, it like, totally. you know, and, uh, I remember it was a Sunday, the Mar Vista farmer's market was, was out. And I went with Corey, my now wife, and, um, there were just Lakers apparel everywhere. Like everyone was just rocking Lakers right away. It was, you know, yeah. If you're, if you did not live in Los Angeles during that time, it's also so strange because it was so quickly, obviously like two months later overtaken by the pandemic. Uh, It really felt like it started the worst year ever though. It did. It did. And I know it's been said, but it felt so weird just because it was like unthinkable. I had a Sunday morning date, which why did that happen but a coffee date and i was you know like why well because you don't drink neither do i so it's like that's true that's <laughs> it's like true. You, you only have certain windows that you can um, have a date that's not alcohol related and i was like i was so afraid i found out like because at first it was like kobe died then it was like unclear and details were coming in about the helicopter mm-hmm. crash and i was like i remember parking my car outside of this coffee shop being like it's gonna be hard for this to not be the only thing i talk about on this date <laughs> uh but I put a lot of where it was fine. But no, I actually remember, um, I think you and I must have hung out sometime that because I drove to your house in Culver City, opposite side of town where I live, and then driving back at night, it was like foggy-ish. And I just remember so many buildings had up purple and gold lights that the mm-hmm. sky was like purple and gold in commemoration oh, wow. of Kobe. And it was so surreal and like, kind of moving again obviously kobe and even more the los angeles athlete um which doesn't really happen here because like the entertainment industry kind of takes over Mm -hmm. like prevents like 
a city from turning fully towards sports. Um, yeah, I think uh, though, yeah, I, I don't know. I actually so think strange like that. Well, yeah, but I don't think I do think though, and let's we should probably steer back in the American pastoral, but it's we are extrapolating from some of the thematic terrain here. Is that, um, I don't know, I do think LA, and this is very, I apologize if I sound like douchey, but since I was teaching, you know, I tried to get break into entertainment, didn't quite work, but um, when I was teaching, I felt like I was much more involved in like the actual people who live in Los Angeles, Los Angeles. yeah, you're and, so right. And and I have to say those in those people's lives, the L.A. Lakers and Kobe Bryant loom larger than any Hollywood. People. No, no, you're so you're so right. And I do think I mean, I yeah, I think that's one of the stereotypes about L.A. that I just perpetuated that bothered <laughs> me. I also like the idea that no one's true because it's not accessible. But so it's like there's like, here. It's full. Like there are a lot of fucking people who don't think it's like a sprawling Nate. Um, but the Lakers, the Dodgers are huge, but the Lakers, especially if you go South at all, like the South Bay or South LA, it's mm-hmm. huge. My, I have four cousins who grew up in the South Bay who like, it, it was like a bigger deal than if a family member had died, you know, two of them were mm-hmm. courtside at the game where he had 81 points. I oh, mean, he wow. was a God. Um, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah. RIP. Uh, um, RIP. Oh, re- let's here's a good segue back the Swede. Based on a real guy, like a lot of Philip Roth stuff, he went to went to the same high school as Philip Roth, just like in the book and film. Uh, we we quiet high school. I'm actually not sure how you say it, um, but in oh, yeah. in Newark, it's where the Zuckerman character went, where his high school reunion is, and also where Roth went. But yeah, the real guy was uh, Seymour Swede Mason, a legendary all around Jewish athlete who also attended the same high school. I mean, yeah, I guess there's a lot to talk about with how this fails with the specifics of adaptation. First of all, I feel like every way it tries to do the like, you know, the underbelly of our nostalgia for the 60s and 70s and the counterculture is so hackneyed. Like mm-hmm. in every turn, it's like, do the thing we've seen the most times. When they play the Buffalo Springfield song over the montage of him, like observing the times changing, it's mm-hmm. like, it feels like when Forrest Gump did that, <laughs> you know, whatever, 30 years ago, it was already the most obvious song choice. And I feel like Every instance is of that, you know, the posters on her wall as soon as it's Dakota fanning and she's becoming a teen. Mm-hmm. And like the the one thing that I, I it's lazy, but at least the stock footage has some degree of reality to it. And it's kind of mm-hmm. cool when it uses stock footage and montage. But then when it cuts back to stock footage, like especially during the Newark riot scene, it's mm-hmm. so jarring with how bad the actual like filmmaking is oh that it just makes it all the more distracting totally agree because i think one of the first things i wrote down which made me feel like that this was off to the wrong start was a subtle thing but i was like yeah this person this edit is just getting it wrong it's like so they have they have zuckerman in the car right Mm -hmm. just starts out then it goes to to stock footage then back to zuckerman you don't you either start with found footage montage and then go into the fucking story you don't go back and forth to give us exposition like that's so dumb you're also telling us the time period with the class reunion and like we understand this and it's like and it's i think it's just i think and i guess this might be interesting place to start too is like i just feel like i can't this is me extrapolating now but i feel like ewan mcgregor took away 
the wrong thing from the book. Like it feels like he didn't pick up on what it was actually about. It feels like that's the it feels like it was like about that the Swede was suffering. It feels like that's what he wanted to bring to light was like that this great man suffered in this horrible way. That's how what I gathered, kind of. Yeah, and yeah, and it just feels like it both over explains the stuff from the book, like you're saying, and also just le- throws stuff in without either paying it off or setting it up. That I understand that it's difficult to adapt certain things, but oh my god, and the things that just don't play on screen are fucking disastrous. So one really <laughs> like one like it's thorny true, element really of the book is that there's kind of a almost incestual relation not incestual but like you know swede's daughter Mm. mary uh is like has kind of a daddy complex and there's a kind of big deal scene in the book when she's younger and Mm -hmm. she encourages him to kiss her on the mouth like he does her mom his wife and he does and then he's really you know he kisses her on the mouth and he's immediately weirded out by it he wasn't thinking about it in the moment this scene in the book in the movie is like straight up one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, it's pretty fucking horrific. And I don't know if it's like was like what is what are we watching? Because <laughs> the movie has no like it does it so fully does the surface level all, like Americana shit, but in a way that like doesn't even allow for any of the underbelly to work in any way. And then it also. I mean, okay, so Mary, his daughter, has a stutter. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get a child actor to play a stutter no, I know. without like it feeling can't. terrible? It feels you like can't. mean to everyone. It feels like you want her to develop a stutter <laughs> like <laughs> just so she could have gotten it right and then have to reshoot everything six months later. But <laughs> um, no, real quick, though, I thought – I think I'm misremembering. I think I, I'm going to de- de- delegate to your memory, but I thought that when – in the book, when Mary asked for a kiss – he doesn't do it and then regrets it because he because he realized it because he was I thought it was like he was weirded out by the request and was like but then he realized it was innocent enough and it was like one of the ways that he like feels like he was worried he like killed her confidence oh maybe I'm misremembering I thought he I did kiss her I thought he you did could be Which, right maybe if you could look it up later then we can add an addendum or something um because that was a I thought that that was like a big it is a big scene in the book and I thought he didn't do it but I don't I, I'm not fully confident. You know, you could be totally right. Regardless, uh, so yeah, well, my <laughs> idea was that it didn't take it far enough. So it lives in this weird gray area of just being feeling totally like uh, just it's gross. missing the point. It doesn't know yeah. it, there's it's just it doesn't know what the subtext is supposed to be. I feel like it's like it's such a classic thing, like, what's my motivation? But I feel like neither actor knows why they're behaving in the way that they are. And I just feel like just soup to nuts ewan mcgregor is terrible in this and i don't know why i think it's just because a lot of his vocal affect feels like he's like acting in a play or something yeah and it's really strange he overdoes like the perfect it's so funny because i wrote down like starting the movie the one line from the book that that definitely stuck with me is uh the what is it a handsome boy always making the extra effort not to be mistaken for the owner of his startling good looks and you're like yeah that could be ewan mcgregor and then it starts and he's just talking like, well, gee, dad, plenty of people are moving out to a farm country. And it's like, this is not, <laughs> not a Republicans. Person. And, you know, the thing is, too, if you don't know about this, but oh, fuck, I really want to make this joke, but I can't I can't think quick enough tonight. But I really want to be like the Jedi Council. <laughs> 
They are not. We can. He's too old. Anakin Skywalker is too old. That feels like how he's talking to it's the whole true. fucking time. And then, oh, can I have a a crazy? I'm gonna have a crazy tangent. But I'm gonna make, so I think you and McGregor is ter- like it's. I think it's hilarious to be like. I read this book about this all American fucking smoke show. Guess what? I'm gonna play him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he looks yeah, nothing funny. like. It had totally to be a anybody. handsome guy, but like... he's very handsome. But he's not Nordic. That's the whole point of. And he's if they changed his name from the suite, like he doesn't look like a tall, strapping Tanner Coon. No, well, just thank doesn't. you. Well, what's yeah. interesting is like I I hadn't really seen this. So I was just looking into this. So initially, uh, Philip Noyce, the director, was gonna do it. Then mm-hmm. Fisher Stevens, the actor who's also a director, was going to direct and jennifer connelly was cast then this was like 2012 mm-hmm. um but at that point her real life husband paul bettany was cast to play the swede who i mean yeah google a picture of him let me google really it. looks it you know um he's vision in the avengers movies he's in master and commander um he's viz Vi- <laughs> <laughs> my favorite nickname he's viz uh uh but that makes a lot of sense but then phil oh, this guy this guy uh... director does it make sense <laughs> sorry yeah. yeah well sorry did ever know he's the guy who plays silas uh the albino albino i was gonna say Benji, and mike DeBicaro, such so probably know his last name but very close friend of mine loves uh loves fair complex men like he's uh-huh. like, that's his that's his type he dates like all only guys who look like that and uh I randomly brought up the Da Vinci Code once, and Mike just looks at me and goes, "The guy who whips himself is hot." And I just started talking <laughs> so like, you think this albino monk who's just killing everyone is? Anyway, uh, sorry, he would have been, been a good. Yeah, he doesn't though. I will say he's he does. I think this is another the criticism I have of Jennifer Connelly's casting. I think Jennifer Connelly is talented as hell. I think she's very attractive. I think she has a dark sort of energy to her. That I don't think I agree. Was... She's not like the like it would you know the Miss New Jersey or Miss mm. Newark who is yeah because it needs to be the kind of the fake idea of the all American person yeah um, not that she's not that but like yeah, a Reese I... Witherspoon like you know I'm not sure. saying her necessarily but like that type where it's like you or even like her like with... we talked about Gone Girl last week like that kind of thing where mm. that, I mean that is about like the idea of the perfect amazing Amy like mm-hmm. um. It's true. Uh, she's also just really bad. She's very bad in it. Her mental breakdown in the factory is just the weirdest. It feels like wow. no films do mental illness correctly. What's a yeah. film that you feel like has done mental illness the best? God, I don't know. That's a good question. So I mean, tough. it's got to be something that's more kind of low key, you know? Uh, oh, I'm one time though. I real quick, I I said. Uh, I felt really bad after it. I, st- I mean, I, I, in some way, I am happy that I stick to my convictions, regardless of who I'm talking to and being insensitive. But this, this girl, woman I know who is who is bipolar was saying how, and I didn't know this at the time, but was saying that she loves Silver Linings Playbook, and I was like, I was just like, I don't. She was like, I just love how it depicts mental illness, and I was like, I just don't agree. Like it's like I was like, I just think it like really glamorizes it because Bradley Cooper is mentally ill, and he's just he just throws books out the window. And she's crazy. Jennifer Lawrence is crazy, but she's just like apparently slutty, like in the eyes of the community right, and like, right. And throws like to tantrum in a coffee shop. Like it just felt like, and then they end up together and then the bookie lets them off the hook. Like it felt like it was so like, didn't, didn't fully embrace how un 
diagnosed mental illness can literally ruin your life in irrecoverable ways. Like I feel like it was very Hollywood version. I went on this rant about it and she just kind of like very was very tepid after that. And I was like, fuck. And then I found out later she's bipolar. I was like, fuck. I just like literally like if she likes it and she's bipolar and there's a character bipolar, like it's obviously doing something well. Right. Know? Right. Like, like, so I was like, I felt really bad about that. Yeah. And I literally I mean, every it, time I talk to her, I think about it and she probably has no idea, but she's probably moved it, on. It's like hard to say. Cause I'm, yeah. Cause I'm, I mean, again, I, I don't, I mean, I don't deal with specific mental illnesses like that. I do think the TV show you're the worst is a really cool, like depiction of depression. Um, in a yeah, really cool way where it's always funny but feels respectful mm-hmm. and also like what really happens. It also has some PTSD stuff with a different character, which is really interesting. Um, oh man, yeah, Harvey Jennifer. Con- I think the word, <laughs> the the back to the kissing scene. First of all, turns <laughs> out he does kiss her in the book. Um, yeah. Oh wait, no, I was oh, right. You're- Fuck, you're a- <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Matt, uh, Matt, Matt really celebrated uh, it and pointed up to the heavens <laughs> so he won a, won oh a sporting gosh. event like the Swede my apologies um, this is the, I thought it was my Swede perfect. Yeah. Um, but in the Swedish kiss he also uh, oh I gotcha he yeah, also yeah. like makes fun of her stutter which oh he does book. that in the, car, the he definitely does it in the movie yeah it's well he does up. it in the movie it's fucked up but to me I couldn't even tell that he was making fun of her even though I knew what the scene was from the book and he, his performance was so weird that I straight up wondered, I was like, does he, does he have a stutter too? <laughs> but he's funny, mocking her and he performs yeah, he a stutter. He says it, but it's funny because people stutter when they get mad like that. So yeah, it's like, it, it's I know true. what you mean. I was like, wait, what? But then it, it, I, it, it's fucked up. So yeah, I think, I think he's horribly cast. I think Jennifer I Connelly do is think, not correct. Not that she's good, but as soon as it switches from the child actor to mm-hmm. Dakota Fanning, like, the movie's like a little more credible, like immediately. A little bit, yeah. She's obviously a great actor, but um, but though I will say just one of those things though, it's like you there's certain things you can read about in a way because of how it's narrated or brought to life that you you just can't see. Like someone mm-hmm. who's like this big of a of a jerk about Vietnam and doing all that stuff, it's just so pugnacious that you're just like and it's okay to have non-likable people. We talk about that all the time, but it's like you just you just instantly have this visceral like in a way to me that takes you out of the movie not like you're like not like yeah. you even want her to get like fucked up or something you know well, I, I mean like <laughs> yeah. like you're you know back to what you're saying i mean i do think that's what's the difference is to i mean there are uh, numerous differences but the the book well i do think like you're saying it does it'd make a case for capitalism but seeing it through this totally level-headed guy's eyes and like how he sees the good in these things and always thought he was doing the right thing. I think what's great about it is it also shows that he does think all those things. And yet it is bad in certain ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, his daughter, the terrorist while not right and blowing shit up necessarily like these people all have a lot of points and it all makes a lot of sense too. And that's what, you know, he's so stable and yet the earth is moving from underneath him. And it's mm-hmm. the, the like the great irony of the book and like American life, what it feels like that the movie totally does not get across or even like begin to. Um, I think really the only moments I enjoyed is when he's like being duped by Rita Cohen, who he thinks is this handler of his daughter after his daughter marries. We should say his daughter, Mary, uh blows up the local post office kills one guy and then disappears um kind of part of like you know the weatherman um 
you know, being hoarded by various people. And the Swede is led to believe that this character, Rita Cohen, is kind of her representative. And mm-hmm. she forces him to meet her, like kind of almost seduces him. A pretty effectively upsetting scene in the book or in the movie for like a second because mm-hmm. I think the actor is good, but then like she run he runs out. Mm-hmm. It's so it becomes it's very... like thriller score. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's... and then he comes back immediately and she's gone. Oh. Um, I think the that part of the book I actually loved because I remember I was so gripped. Um, because yeah, he like is totally duped by this woman. And then it says like, and I think the chapter ends with her being like, "Oh, by the way, she wants her Audrey Hepburn scrapbook back." Yeah. The great like, moment in the movie told, too, yeah. I think actually, like that performance yeah. where she—it's Rita Cohen is playing someone who's visiting the glove manufacturing shop that the Swede has inherited mm-hmm. and runs, and she's just taking a tour, and then she just flips the switch and reveals that she knows Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's really good, and then it's, it's very. The book, at least, it was very, and in the movie, like I agree, it, it was done uh, halfway decently. But um, that you just feel like you just instantly are like, God, how fucking embarrassing is that? That you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> like you like made her these gloves and did all this shit, and it's like, it's like this, uh, you know, the this agent of chaos. Yeah, just... I mean that's the other thing. the The book has so much room to go into the minutia of glove manufacturing. Like I remember oh, being yeah. like, "Wow, I'm learning about gloves for real." And then <laughs> yeah. you know, and then the movie tries to have the payoff where Rita Cohen is you know <laughs> imploring him to fuck her and is like talking about what size is it. Both mm-hmm. unclear about you know her genitalia or his. But she's you know, making jokes about all this gloves specific. And I, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, I don't know. This hasn't been about gloves at all. This isn't working. <laughs> like, whereas in the book, you, there, I believe there's like like 15 unbroken pages just about like the business of glove making. Um, well, it's in, it's interesting because I wonder, it reminds me of Moby Dick. Um, is uh, Moby Dick has whole chapters that are about whales. Right, I'm, because yeah. it it felt like that you needed at that there wasn't like there was Google, right? So people would have to um, you would try to educate your reader about the subject matter in real time in a way, or make it or stop and uh, and uh, do that. Um, and it feels like the American Pastoral also would do that with the glove industry. Tanner is frozen. But I tried to finish my. Okay, cool. You're back. I did what I said to do. I kept talking about. You my kept point. talking about whales. Yeah, Great. basically. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah, I went a whole diatribe about whales. No, just like people, authors. I think it can be intense, but uh, when they're they're trying to educate the reader as well, and not just being like now it feels like everyone's like, oh, if people want to know more, they'll look it up or whatever. They're trying to bring more context to it. I you, I froze uh, again. Doesn't matter. Did. We're, no, no, we're it's good. good. No, I agree. Whales I mean, rule. I even, gloves rule. Whales it also, yeah, gloves. it reminded me. There's Love like world. In, <laughs> Love in, world. In, <laughs> in gravity's rainbow. I think there's like a like 15 pages from the point of view of a light bulb, you know, and like tracing oh. its history. I love Feels stuff like that. Pinch-up. And yeah, oh yeah, totally. And like literature has the capability to do that. And I'm sure film could in certain ways. This movie doesn't try, nor would it have had room to. Um, who do you think um who do you think would have made this film better? I have two answers come to mind. Obviously, yeah. there's a great lot of question. It. Yeah. Do you mean in what sense? Performance, director, either or 
Uh, I feel like narrative tone as far as like stuff that you've seen in like you feel like the tone of the because I, I just think this is such a, a such a mishit misfire with tone from the book. And um, I guess, yeah, it'll just start there, I guess. Like who, whose work do you think? Um, yes, I, it's interesting. I actually don't have an answer for this off the top of my head because I do feel like there are a lot of filmmakers like the ones we've mentioned who do least try to capture a certain philip roth mm-hmm. feel but this book is specific like a lot of his books sure deal with the scope of history and like america but this one feels so specific in that way i don't know what's your answer you you go first i'll try and think of one but well i really think it's probably the recency effect because we just talked about i think fincher because i think oh, there is sure. the process there's the glove process he gets the documentary style performances i think it would be the score would have been great i think uh the cinematography obviously would have been amazing and i think he would have cast the film really well and maybe have yeah Tur- i mean even Tur- like Tur- gone girl talking about uh, the casting in that movie yeah like uh, and like the yeah oh my god maybe i don't know if he if he'd do as well with the language of the book like maybe bomb right it's easy to say we were talking about him. It feels like maybe he's used to, he can kind of spin that, that, that web of, of the characters who are, who are a little bit conceited and very intelligent. And it's a walk in line with commentary or whatever, but like, I feel like yeah, he's a good answer. I don't know, but I feel like just Fincher because of the, I just think there was a, a there's, he just can execute. And I feel like there's such a, he's really good at working with source material. No, no, that that's totally true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've seen a few good Indignation. I have not actually read the book Indignation. It may be a novella, but that's a movie uh, from, gosh, when was it from? A few years ago. That's really, really good. Um, 2016 by uh, um, James Seamus, who isn't even a traditionally, I think it's the only, the only movie he's directed but he co-wrote a bunch of Ang Lee movies and I think ran focus features. Um, yes. It's a really interesting figure, but that movie is great. And then I saw a movie based on deception, the very strange Philip Roth novel directed by the French filmmaker, Arnaud um, Deplachon, um, that was like, so it's in French, you know, it's got French film, you know, actors, Lisa Sadu's in it but it's really great. And like, so about Philip Roth and I guess he had um, put like, he had used text from the novel deception as like, like camera rehearsal that would between two actors that he put on the DVD extras for one of his movies, maybe Kings and Queens. And I guess Philip Roth saw it and was like, Oh, you should make that movie. And he's like, yeah, but I would have to find a way to cinematically do it. And Philip Roth was like, no, just do it like you did it there. And they just literally just, it was like a really simple, like, uh, I think even just a two shot of the, the actors just talking the text, uh, in cool. French and and Philip Roth encouraged him. He's like, no, make it in French. And it, this didn't come out till this past year. Um, and that was in the nineties. So it took him like, you know, whatever, <laughs> 25 years, but it is, but this one is so specific. Yeah. Someone who has that Fincher, like it's tough. I think when people who are really intelligent, who are like, like Jesse Eisenberg in the social network, like he's fun. He's a douche in a lot of ways, but he's like very fun. Right. And he's smart and in a way that yeah. you like both hate, but like, like to listen mm-hmm. to. And I think someone who would walk that line, um, 
and B talk very quickly, but also like make out character observations and in, in real time and with voiceover and stuff. Like, I think that, I don't know an actor who comes to mind really. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think who's good at, it's kind of in the demographic we've talked about for our film. Uh, but yeah, it's like, who's, who's <laughs> right. the, uh, obviously, you know, Jeff Daniels, if we're going to keep drawing the Bernard Jeff Daniels, maybe, maybe, maybe I just have a serious man on the brain because similarities oh. to Roth, but my, <laughs> but he definitely has that quality. Okay. So here's, here's, let me see if I, I'm just looking at my notes here, just anything to bring up here. And then uh, we can, we can go into some more things before we head out let's see so okay it's just i basically just wrote down all these errors that i thought um, <laughs> let's write it just, down yeah so I, wrote, I just wrote hilarious you in in a basketball uniform looking fully 40 years old oh my god his the <laughs> face they put on to some old black and white photo of a high school basketball player is the fakest looking thing i've ever all the effects i do feel like they also do they de-age them in the early scenes he and Connolly, like when she when they go to meet his dad I feel like there's like some CGI smoothing of their faces that on him in particular looks so like uncanny valley. I don't I'll have to rewatch uh just that part because I, I honestly don't know. But I into that there's there's a bunch of weird age miscontinuity because Jerry literally looks 20 years younger than Nathan. Uh-huh, and it's because uh-huh. they want to have him in flashbacks. I get it, but like he looks it's like, dude, they don't even look like they don't even they do not look like they're in the same generation and then at the end you see the swede get aged progressively but then jennifer connelly at the looks funeral is like almost the exact same age yeah. and it's like sure maybe jennifer connelly would never age but oh ewan mcgregor's old age makeup is so bad as he ages yeah i i, I thought the exact same thing it makes no sense okay i already talked about some of the the, the stock footage um yeah we're talking about how nathan's really miscast um, and then I also thought the film deviated from the book in ways that were just not necessary. Um, did the Swede, I don't remember, did the Swede, was the Swede dead at the beginning of the book? He I is dead. This, he is dead. He is dead, but there's no funeral. The, the book does not end, which I think is fascinating. The book ends at like dinner in the Swede story still. Oh yeah. And, and before he, before he confronts, like he doesn't confront his wife. Yeah. There's the he has an affair with the speech therapist in the book, right, which is right. interesting. Um, I actually think it's interesting. Some of the criticism, uh, I guess you're saying of Roth is I actually thought the book did pretty well with um, the sexual politics and dynamics between them as a couple. Yeah. Um, I do think that was really interesting um, with her affair and which just happens out of nowhere then, in the, in the movie. I just thought this was interesting too. It's goofy, but it, like he mentions that maybe this is objectifying, but he mentions that his wife, performs oral sex on him th- like three times throughout their marriage but it was like because it was provocative like you know we right all, we take that for granted our millennials so like there were certain sex acts that were just really taboo for a very long time and it's goofy because it's they're you know stuff we all engage in now quite easily but uh back then it was not the case no no it's and it's interesting to consider um yeah uh, so weird yeah it goes straight into don's affair with the architect neighbor in the movie in a way where you're like when did this happen they've got this <laughs> yeah. cool model for a house that's such a big part of the book i understand there's not room for it but uh model looks really cool in the movie though i love little models of uh, buildings 
Yeah, it does. The model does look cool. Um, the there's just three things in a row or two, a couple of things, but uh, when I think doesn't Dakota Fanning say she's pro cow and then like stutters and spits out the burger. Oh it my was like, God. it was like literally look like one, two, three, spit it out. It was like, like, you know what I mean? It was like, you could feel them all at, like, they just felt like they were all so clearly acting. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Just terrible. And then, um, the close up on the American flag after the bombing, like it's just flapping a little on the nose. A little <laughs> on the nose there. And, and then it's just goofy because I actually do really respect Ewan McGregor as an actor. I think he's like very good. But then he had the the line where he says, knock wood. <laughs> like before, I'm like, what are you? I swear to God, this is there's some that really feels like there's just something. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it shows that he's so likable because like this movie like should have like you know i guess it probably didn't cost a ton but it feels like a real career ruiner um but he seems he seems like a likable guy uh i have heard that he's very nice i know he's had some like kind of uh a slightly public you know uh romantic switch up he's with mary elizabeth winstead now uh and they met while making fargo he was previously with his wife the mother of his children i don't know if he cheated or whatever but he still Mm -hmm. seems to come across like a great guy and i actually knew someone briefly who was writing a movie that he was attached to Mm -hmm. and she made him sound like the coolest most normal guy uh so hey okay that's good ewan's likable i'm sure he probably liked the book a lot really weird terrible movie it is oh my just god i don't know i will say Corey liked it so oh I interesting chose, i okay. was shocked i was shocked well you know it is it, it is hard to know when you you know you haven't i was like reading a book head. exactly yeah. yeah yeah how could you not um i don't know there's, there's also there's an adaptation of the humbling starring al pacino and greta gerwig i think directed by someone cool maybe david gordon green that i don't think people like but i would certainly be interested to see that movie um, oh that's all three of those names are very yeah intriguing, right? yeah yeah Pacino, gerwig how would they play off wait david no okay gordon i'm green. thinking of manglehorn who directed the humbling hold on i can do this the humbling manglehorn. is directed by oh directed by barry levinson real director um yeah, Pacino and Greta Gerwig. <laughs> one, I have one other uh, Roth adaptation story that I, I didn't remember until recently. The movie Elegy, starring Ben Kingsley and Penelope Cruz, is an adaptation of... Is it not The Professor of Desire, um, but it's the same character. David Kopesh is the the Roth character. Um, oh, it's based on The Dying Animal. It starred Ben Kingsley, Penelope Cruz, and Dennis Hopper. My dad took my high school girlfriend and I to see this movie because he had like <laughs> won free tickets to it of an early screening. I didn't know what this movie was, but I remember feeling really cool because it was like clearly like literary and like it definitely about like sexual politics between mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley and Penelope Cruz. And like I was 16 and my girlfriend was with us and I was like, I look smart as hell, but I also <laughs> didn't get it at all. So maybe it's an okay movie. Uh, that also feels very Squid in the Whale to see. Yes, Blue oh, Velvet. absolutely. It was um, very like Blue Velvet. My dad didn't know what it was. <laughs> the other movie he did, though, was he took us to the Martin Scorsese uh, 3D U2 IMAX concert film because he got free tickets to it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dad. I can't um, believe. Do you see that U2 apologized for adding all of our their their one album to everyone's on it? He did? Like, no, that, I didn't music. see that. That's really funny. Been, it really cleared it up for me because I've been randomly, it comes on, 
And I'm like, I never got this. And I was so confused by it. And it really it's clarified. so funny and weird. I mean, hey, um, what was I going to say too? You, uh, oh, it's interesting to me that you're saying that he doesn't like Woody Allen um, because it feels like they're doing the same thing. I just had that realization. It's like they're both having a narrator or protagonist who's ostensibly themselves mm-hmm. engaging in the world in a, in a way that's connected to plot, but is really how they would behave in the plot and like making like, and also using like Jewish American culture as, as a, as part of the texture. I, yeah. And I even think, I mean, maybe that's why they dislike each other. I believe, is it? Yes. Deconstructing Harry is the one that people think is like straight up. He's playing Philip Roth. What are you on? Oh, um, which is very funny. Um, Never seen that movie. It's a good one, uh, from what I remember. Uh, what do you think is a is a is a is a? He's just got so many fucking movies, and they're all. I feel like this is how I feel about Woody Allen is that like not so much in recent years, but like feels like any Woody Allen film is like an eight out of ten at least. But then when you watch them in relationship with each other, they all get diminished because they're all very similar. Do you know? Yeah, what I, mean? I think that's fair. I think some are worse than that, but I do think. It's like, yeah, you're like, oh, it still is a Woody Allen movie. Like, there's some witty stuff. He mm-hmm. works with great cinematographers and great actors. So, like, even at its worst, when it just feels like the lowest common denominator of his stuff, you're like, there's going to be some pleasure there, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I remember I, I was like, I was, I was on a hot Woody Allen street because I it was kind of when I discovered him. And I heard, like, Crimes and Misdemeanors is, like, the one to watch. I, mm-hmm. like watch it and it's like pretty good i'm like but this is like the exact same thing as anything else you know what i mean i was like sure, i sure. didn't feel wait wait, wait like... pause <laughs> Do you don't mean that it's the exact same thing as the jason biggs starring woody allen film anything else right no <laughs> no i don't um uh, you know what woody allen <laughs> film i had to turn off uh which was a bummer anything else is pretty bad by the way I, it probably is sounds weird. what's the one because it sounds very similar, similar title with Larry David. Oh, whatever works. I've not seen yeah, that one. That one Even though pretty, it's pretty that's bad. one of those ones that seems like such a perfect match that it's crazy. People hate it, but it also sounds bad. I mean, the dude made a movie a year. It. Uh, no, I mean it makes sense. Respect to that, but yeah. Um, because I was gonna say, what's your sleeper? No pun intended. Because sleeper is one of Woody Allen's films. Uh, film that that you think is is good that that isn't in the conversation with him. Of the Woody Allen movies? That's yeah. hard. Um, I have a good I, answer. I do have some answers. Fuck. Um, I'll go first then. Manhattan Murder yeah. Mystery. Uh, that's it. That's my answer. Absolutely. <laughs> totally agree. Because I think it's really funny and seems like one of the silly ones, but it is also weirdly moving and like really scary at times. In a it cool is. Way. I mean, it steals completely from the lady from Shanghai, the Orson Welles movie. Yeah, at the end. totally. But uh, the part where he plays the wrong recording at the critical <laughs> moment is maybe the hardest i've laughed in so a movie funny. when it's like the thing is it's supposed to say like give me the money tomorrow at five and he just says pluses the recording and he says and he picks the wrong one and it says like i already told you that and it's like so confusing to like these four people who are trying to fake this very important phone call it, i'm bastardizing the plot i'm gonna do that too because it reminds me of a scene and you have not seen the albert brooks movie modern romance have you no it's uh, i did watch uh on your suggestion um what's the travel one again 
Lost in America. Lost in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Modern Romance. He's a, he's an editor in Hollywood, and there's a scene in when they're doing sound and they're trying to get the right footsteps for this scene of like someone walking through a spaceship. Um, and they they want louder footsteps, like heavier. And like the the guy running the the sound booth is like, well, we got some from the Incredible Hulk that might work. And they like load him up, and he's like, okay, let's try it. And it, they put the sound over the space scene, and it's like footsteps but then someone going <laughs> and it was like obviously we can't use this but when the like hulk roar comes on it's just like the funniest thing ever god that is really funny um i think another part i laughed really hard uh at in uh, in lost in america is when he's just is I don't know if this is why we're talking about this in, in their film prop episode, but <laughs> but when he loses his wife loses all the money and he's going to try to convince it back and he's trying to use his advertising. Oh my god. Campaign and he it's goes so and he keeps funny. and he keeps this being like, what if you just he's trying to put an ad a marketing hook on why this casino boss should give them all their money back? And he's explaining it. It make it fully makes zero sense. And then he's like, but he's getting excited about it in jitters. And he's like, that's the ad campaign. <laughs> like, and the guy just stares at him. And then eventually it cuts away to him going back, obviously failed to convince him. So funny. That, that, that so I believe that's director funny. Gary Marshall, who plays the casino, uh, the guy running the casino in that scene too. And he's so, oh my God. <laughs> um, hilarious movie. Okay, here. So I, I that's kind of all my criticisms. I have more, but we've gone over them. Um, there's yeah, there's there. Uh, let's see. Um, I wish they had the scene. I think it would have been, it would have been one of those things would probably cost like literally a hundred thousand dollars to do for ten seconds. But um, this Zuckerman seeing the Swede with his sons from a different marriage at the Mets game I think oh that was great um, too the other yeah. cool thing about the framing device of American Pastoral reading it is that it's really long before you get to the sweet story mm-hmm. am I remembering that right like I think like you 75 pages like you said, yeah. something like that where you're with Zuckerman in the frame story like learning about sweet talking about sweet before it goes into imagining his life mm-hmm. um oh damn that that would have been cool yeah how do you do that how do you do a period Mets game I think uh, you just film one section of the stadium. Yeah, people could do it for sure. Uh, yeah, David Hugh McGregor probably not. You <laughs> <Hugh> McGregor <laughs> well, bow to David Fincher. Okay, so so you and McGregor bow down because you use weird stock footage that I could find right now myself. Yeah. Which and David could, Fincher which is cool in movies sometimes, but God, they it did can in the be most cool obvious way. I really feel like it's always black and white photos or black and white videos of people protesting though, mm, and mm-hmm. like police with like a billy club, like and then. Oh, I, I wanted to say off. it's weird because it uh the Sopranos connection, but the the Sopranos prequel movie that came out last year, Many Saints of Newark, um, is in part about the Newark riots. It's set at the same time, mm. um, which is just interesting because that's another like pretty cursed adaptation of a great thing that like boy mostly does not work. It's way better than this movie, and there's some good performances in it, but it's really not good. Um, <laughs> That was just really interested in me. Uh they're both covering the same ground there. Um, I don't know anything about the Newark riots. Was it about the Vietnam War? I don't know. Let's, <laughs> Let's Google. Let's Wikipedia real quick. Newark I, oh, I mean 
it's it's it they certainly were, race they were, related. They're right. protesting about um, Trenton. They were saying that they were better than Trenton. No, um, I don't know anything <laughs> about my mom. It's funny because the thing that's hilarious about New Jersey is that. So if you're from Southern Jersey, my right. mom totally different she's thing. A, she's a little bit different because she was born in Philadelphia and lived there until she was seven, and then moved to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, literally just like. 10 minutes across the border but she considers herself both from philly and new jersey and people who live in northern jersey consider themselves both from new york they really like people feel like jersey don't identify with jersey only very specific people do yeah no i think you're totally right it's like a separate thing right yeah yeah and then there's the new york versus new jersey but if you're in that zone of jersey you're like very jersey um yeah no they were they were they were you know dealing with race relations um the policeman beat a black or the police beat a black man what a surprise um god that's what's like here's the thing though too that i think is is tough to say because it goes back to our conversation about um girls how like girls the television show yes i've been about girls about (laughs) about just freaking broads (laughs) um is okay and it's a good thing is there's such a people get so excited to to say this is the thing that's the voice of the generation and and girls was being framed as this is like the this generation show and like then it gets criticism with that but really lena dunham in the pilot says she thinks she's a voice in a generation you know which is true because girls was a popular show and it was a great show at times um but it's like when you roll i just always use this example but like so everyone talks about the summer of six is it 69 the summer, summer of love uh 67 actually which Six. is when these riots took place exactly so it's like it's like that's the thing it's like you you can never do anything that encapsulates a generation because we're living in different worlds in a lot of ways you know and we still mm-hmm. are so it's like when you say that this is i really think it works in this thing because it's like it's putting that on a stage and being like this is this weird notion this romanticized notion of what the ideal American life is. And there's these other stuff on the fringes, but I don't think it's like negating the fringes for its own story. It's just putting this, this, this weird mirage into focus to see how it's just not true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Cause I just feel like, yeah, it's, it's crazy that it's like, yeah, people, you know, talking about like how my uncle really almost went to Woodstock. Like he has, his, mm-hmm. he has like this whole version of the sixties that like you know if you were things were still segregated in places yeah. right like so it's just like it's fucking it's crazy. crazy and it's i know i'm more a fan of this than you are and this is like obviously they had more room because it's a show but another thought i had with this movie is like boy a real real case of you know what maybe you should just watch mad men like because <laughs> it's about all these things about identity you know i actually think interestingly when mad men was airing I assume people know the twist of Mad Men that Don Draper is actually someone else. But I, I think the I, people thought the twist was going to be that he was Jewish and passing, um, oh. which also would totally make sense and becomes part of the show with uh, the Ben character in, in later seasons, seasons, I think, four and five. Um, but that's a show that, you know, on the service, I think a lot of people like it for the romanticization of that era. But it's so about how much that era sucked and was a lie mm-hmm. that's been sold to us. Um in such a complicated, interesting way. Well, also, yeah, like highlighting some of the pleasurable things that we're nostalgic about. I don't know. Uh, it is such a hard thing to capture, especially in a future film. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I just, you know what makes me sad? I feel like Ewan McGregor is 
performance is more Pete Campbell than than Don Draper. Oh, it's very he's very <laughs> Pete Campbell in this in a way that Pete Campbell's hilarious and this is not. Uh, Pete Campbell though is like he's his it is I've never felt this way about a person. It is distracting how much you want to punch him his face. Like, I mean I don't know if you got there, face. but he does he get punched in the face. It's such a funny scene. He gets punched <laughs> by Jared Harris playing the Englishman, um, uh, Lane Price, and they decide to fight in front of uh, Don and Roger. Um, and and they're like, they Don and Roger are kind of like, should we stop this? And Roger's like, I'll I'll watch. Um, <laughs> and and Lane again, who's British, a former, like takes like a pugilist stance and knocks him down in like two punches, and it's so funny. You really, it's, it's just, it's so much. Um, okay. Well, I feel like maybe we should wrap this bad boy up. Is there anything we should, we should uh, put a bow on it? What's, what's, what, what can be sick? Cause I feel like we usually end rankings. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, say, I'll say a, a, a film that we can do as a redeeming quality for you. And at some point is uh, train spotting. Train spotting, great movie, adaptation, great point. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's um, my f- favorite favorite Ewan McGregor performance? Um, I guess it is probably Train Spotting. Big Fish, Damn. maybe. Big Fish is fun. I I do I do like him in that. Um, Obviously Obi Wan. I you know <laughs> I like him when he's going bad. He's really good in um in Soderbergh's Haywire as like the main villain that she has a showdown with at the end and beats the shit out of and he gets his ankle broken and like the ocean he rocks. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, he just taps like because he is so nice and likable that when he taps into like that side, I I, I really uh, like it. Um, I think a lot of. I think yeah, that's that is when like the best. Sometimes the best villains are people that you just like who are usually uh, the opposite. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, trying to look. So he was in, yeah, a lot of different stuff. Who obviously. could forget salmon fishing in the Yemen? That's <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> that also reminds me of uh fucking Will Ferrell. Uh, do you ever see Will Ferrell's? I'm on this, like I said, and I'll, I have to recount a little bit of the ESPYS video for you, real quick, before we sign off. But uh, when he and Kristen Wiig presented at the uh, Golden Globes, I oh yes, that was very so funny. Like, but... In the in the Yemen, <laughs> salmon fishing in the Yemen. Oh, in the marigolds, and they say you get out of here. <sighs> but um, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, literally, it's just like. If you want us to host the SPs, here's what we need you to do. And it's just like a two shot of them talking and it's clear they're improvising all this stuff. And then they're like, I just remember the two I remember is <laughs> Will Ferrell goes, I want Greg Odin to tuck us in tonight and read us a bedtime story. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, they just keep having this running thread. And he's like, I want to watch the ori- John C. Riley's like, I want to watch the original like 1917 world series and like most of the players are dead. And then Chauncey Riley's like, well, dig them up. <laughs> and they just keep saying like, I can stuff hear John C. Riley say up. that. It's so fucking funny. By the way, John C. Riley um, in the, in the new Claire Denis movie, as I mentioned, but I, he's not advertised as being in it at all. And he only shows up on a zoom call in the movie, <laughs> which is like, kind of like a feel like a new cheat that movies have used to get famous people in some things. Cause it's obviously so easy, Yeah, but it was so shocking. And just the theater full of people like kind of gasped and giggled. Cause he's just <laughs> like, his hair is crazy. And he's just like immediately talking and being mean on the zoom. Very funny. 
Well, that's goofy because when we saw Licorice Pizza, he has a cameo as right. like a person. Just you just hear Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other John C. Because I also feel like John C. Riley is in Lil Dicky's uh, pillow talking music video. As I have not seen that. That's really funny. yeah. It feels like he does will do, and then he's in all the. You've seen Doctor Steve Brule, right? Yes, hilarious. That is what he looks like in his Claire Denis movie. <laughs> the hair is like that. Um, I will also um, say ranking. This is not my favorite Philip Roth book. I don't know what it is. It's not the either the Counter Life, Patrimony, or Zuckerman Unbound. I saw Zuckerman Unbound at a bookstore the other day in a free bin. Almost got. Ooh, it. I got it. I actually yeah. that's one of the ones I have a copy. You like colon. Great podcast material. Ooh, that is good. That a is right. Love us. Yes. <laughs> I was telling you, I was laughing with Corey recounting the time you we were at my house at like maybe my birthday party or whatever when I was telling you about how I started preserving dust jackets. And then I was like, and you were just earnestly listening. And then I was leading you to a trap to <laughs> say, and ever since I started doing this, I can't stop getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> And it took you a full second, I feel like, to realize I was kidding. I was being serious. Yeah. 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 You really pulled it off. You lulled me in. By the way, my copy of American Pastoral is the terrible um, now now a major motion picture paperback cover from this awful movie. Uh, It's a really good book, though. It is. American Pastoral Rules. Recommend it. It's just a great book. It's just a cool, fun book that's that has a lot going on in it and it's definitely worth like it's definitely a um i know it's interesting that that this ex-girlfriend of yours brother said it's harder than updike or whatever i haven't read i don't think that's true in in hindsight i've read like 15 philip roth books um i've read a short story of his but i felt like our but roth the american story i felt it was long certainly but it's very accessible it is and it's it's one of his denser books i think for sure um some of them are like relatively breezy compared to that. Um, yeah, love Philip Roth. Maybe we'll do another one someday. Yes. Um, okay. Do you think there's any stones unturned? I think we've dug them all up. Hell yeah! You know, dig them up. <laughs> well, dig them up.